Well, good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. But before we get into uh, this week's passage, I want to touch on um, something from last week again, just uh, briefly. Uh, we talked about unity last week and, and a couple of things that I wish I would have said and didn't. Uh, a couple of passages I wish I would have looked at and didn't. So I just want to um, follow up on last week briefly as it leads into to this week. But uh, just two things about unity. Um, and we're going to be talking more about it from the passage today, too. But I, I don't know if you know or realize that Jesus, when he prayed for you, for us, for the church, he prayed this for us. In fact, uh, if you want to keep your finger in Ephesians and turn back to John 17 with me, I want to read just a couple verses. Um, this is actually a point in Jesus' ministry where he prays um, for the disciples and for us those of us who would believe in him after he left. And so in John 17, verses 20 through 23, this is jumping into the middle of his prayer, but it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Just real quick on that. How powerful to think that Jesus, as he prayed, he prayed for our unity. He prayed for our oneness. He prayed that we would be united as the body of Christ in such a way that as the world looks, that they would see him and not just him, but the unity that he has with the Father. Now, if you just think about that for a second, that's pretty significant. We're called to love and be humble and be gentle and be patient with each other in a way and be united with each other in a way that shows the world what it's like between the Father and His Son. And so it says that they will know that God sent Christ to the world. So our oneness and our unity is not just a a secondary thing that if it happens, it happens. And wouldn't it be great if the church was united? It's, It's something that Jesus prayed for, desires for us today and ultimately affects our evangelism. It affects the picture that Jesus gets of the world as it looks at us. The other thing I wanted to mention is, is um, not just that Jesus prayed for it, but a picture of it for us. If you'll turn from Ephesians to the right, just a couple of books to Colossians. I think this is a great picture for us of what biblical unity looks like in the church. Starting with verse 12, I'm going to read um, through verse 17. Where Paul says this to the church there, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You're going to see some uh, similarities between this and, and the Ephesians 4 passage here. Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to tear this apart, and we'll talk actually more about this in, in, in about a few months from now. But, um, but I think this gives us a picture of what it looks like. And the re- reason I read this with the other passage is because I want us to notice in both of these that, that the Word of God isn't to be cast aside or stepped over or ignored in our unity. So often um, there's, there can be so much emphasis put on unity in the body of Christ, unity in believers that the word of God is set aside for the sake of unity. And that's not at all what scripture gives us. In fact, right before Jesus prays for us these words, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So grow them and, and, and make them more like me, make them more like Christ through the truth. Your word, Father, is truth. And even here, when we, when we look at this picture of, of, as you read through that, and I would encourage you to go, back this week and read through Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. But what a beautiful picture of what the church could and should look like when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and doing what what the Spirit has empowered and enabled it to do. What a beautiful picture of the church. But even in the midst of that, a part of that unity is letting God's Word, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you're unified like that, and when you're letting God's Word dwell in you richly, it doesn't say uh, ignore doctrine or ignore uh, God's Word. In fact, it says, let it dwell in you and teach and admonish one another. To be challenging. We mentioned that last week. But I just want to remind and, 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 and kind of encourage us in that. And it's something I didn't say last week, and I wanted to, but didn't. Uh, and so I wanted to mention it as we go into Ephesians 4. So go ahead and, if you either stayed there or kept your finger in Ephesians 4, go ahead and turn back there. <clears throat> because another way that we can strive for unity is, is to understand that Christ has gifted each of us uniquely in a way that best serves the purpose He has for this particular body. And ultimately to glorify him and present him as glorious to the world. And that's, we're going to talk about that aspect of unity today. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read Ephesians 4. I think I forgot to uh, dismiss the kids. So if you are first, second, or third grade, go ahead and head to the back while everybody's standing up. and That way no one will point and laugh. Okay, Ephesians 4. Let's start with verse 7. I'm going to read through verse 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for entrusting your word to us, God. We're grateful and we need you. We need you to speak it to our hearts. God, we want to grow in you and we want to know you and we want to live for you. 
We want to glorify you. That's why you made us, is to bring yourself glory. And we want to do that. We want to, we want to be what you've made us to be. And so, God, I pray that you'd help through your word, that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit. And God, that you'd speak to us this morning. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So it starts off here in verse 7. And the very first word in verse 7 is that word, but. But grace was given to each one. And when it says that word, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a change kind of, of, of direction or a comparison that's taking place. A contrast, really, that's taking place. Where he's been talking about this one body. Just before this, he says there's one body and there's one spirit and there's one hope to which you've been called. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all. And, and all of this is in the midst of this uh, teaching on unity. That we're to be unity. We're to be one body unified in Christ. And from that, he goes to verse 7 where he says, but... Grace was given to each one of us. And the reason that word but is there and it's important is because there's a contrast here where we have this picture where Paul's giving us this picture of we're one body. We have the whole body and you as a part of Christ, you're a part of the one body of Christ. And that one body, like we've talked about last week and weeks prior to that, is is, is, um, made up of every person who has believed or ever will believe in Christ. Whoever's come to Christ, been forgiven because of Christ, that's the body of Christ. And so he's been giving us this picture of how we're one body and there ought to be unity in that body. And then he says this, grace was given to each one of us. And so the picture we're having here is we're a part of the whole body, but we're also individuals in this body. And as an individual in the body of Christ, you have been gifted with something. You've been given something. And so, yes, you're a part of the whole body. And we're called to be united as the whole body. But as a part of that, as an individual in that, God has gifted you. And so there's a contrast that he's making between the oneness and the individualness of the gifts which help fulfill the oneness. Jesus gifted us with with differing gifts. Different gifts is what we're going to be talking about. And so as we get into that, why? Why did he give us different gifts? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he give us, why would God plan to give us differing gifts? I think it has to do with unity. It has to do with this idea that we need each other. If we're going to be a picture of what Christ has called us to be, and if we're ultimately, if we're going to be a picture that glorifies him and be a picture of his body to the world, we need each other. We need to be unified. We need to be fulfilling what he's called us to be and serving and working together. And so he says, yes, there's this oneness, but God has given individually to you gifts. But grace, it says, grace. The means by which we're given these gifts is grace, right? If, if you just walk through with me for a minute uh, through the first couple chapters again. In chapter 1, verse 4 He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's grace. And just as a reminder, grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? Getting what we don't deserve. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. That's grace. 
It says in verse 5 of chapter 1, he predestined us for adoption as his sons. His sons. He adopted us. He did that. That's grace. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he redeems us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's grace that God did that. It's not something that we deserved. It's not something that we could earn. It's his his grace that he would redeem us and cleanse us and forgive us because of the blood of Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 1, he gives us an inheritance. We don't deserve an inheritance. Do you know that? We don't deserve forgiveness in the first place, but we don't deserve an inheritance. We don't deserve to get to go to heaven and be with Christ forever. We don't deserve that. That's grace. Getting what we don't deserve. He gives us an inheritance, it says in in chapter 1, verse 11. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive. What we deserve was to remain dead. We didn't deserve to be made alive. It's grace. It's grace. We got what we didn't deserve. He made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's grace. It's grace. Grace is why we are saved. Grace saves us, but grace also enables us. Grace enables us. And that's the kind of grace that we're talking about here in chapter fourth it enables us to do what we would ordinarily not be able to do grace enables us to do what we ordinarily couldn't do and that's what he's talking about with god's grace here grace was given to each one of us it's grace that that as we talk about giftedness and as we talk about individuals having gifts we don't deserve those either We don't deserve to be gifted by God. It's just grace, and it's grace that he enables us to be a part of his body and to serve and to be what he's called us to be, to minister and to work alongside of each other. It's grace, and he goes on and says, grace was given to each one of us. To each one of us. This is important, okay? Everyone needs to hear this. If you're in Christ, then you're not left out of what we're talking about today. If you have come to Christ, you have a relationship with Christ, if you've been forgiven of your sins, if you've repented and come to Christ because of His work on the cross, then you're a part of this. It says, to each one was given. Each one. You're not left out. You're a part of this enabling grace. And you're wonderfully gifted, Scripture teaches You're gifted and you're a vital part of the body of Christ. You may have never felt like that before, but what scripture teaches is you are gifted and you're a vital part of God's body, of Christ's body, the church. To each one, Paul says. And so as we talk about this, what do we mean when we talk about gifts? What are we meaning by gifts? If each one of us is gifted with something, then it would be nice to know what is gifts i mean what are we talking about when we talk about he gives gifts to people you've probably heard the expression spiritual gifts and we'll look at passages that refer to it that way 
But a spiritual gift is this. It's an ability given and empowered by the Holy Spirit through which we minister in and to the church. It's a gift given and empowered by the Holy Spirit through which we minister to the church and in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians. Go back in your Bible a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. First Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There are differing gifts, Paul says. There's a variety, it says here, of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's what Ephesians 4 7 is saying also. According to the measure of Christ's gift, there's differing gifts and there's differing measures in each person. As a part of the body, who has been given a gift, we're called to use our gift to serve the body and to glorify God. Because God gives each of us differing, uh, a variety of gifts, and in that, He gives them at different measures. We'll talk about that in a minute. Notice what Paul says in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one, just like it says in Ephesians 4, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I, I uh, uh, had planned months ago to, to go to the Desiring God Conference, which is going on right now, and um, I'm not there. Um, but as, as I've followed it on Twitter, what they do is uh, I follow Desiring God and I follow John Piper on Twitter. And so what they do is the, as the conference is going on, as speakers are speaking, uh, they just keep, someone's just typing like crazy, and they're just Twittering all these Great statements that either John Piper or R.C. Sproul or uh, whoever's speaking is, is saying. And last night, uh, Francis Chan was there and speaking, and he happened to mention uh, this passage in, in the midst of, of, of it. And he mentioned this verse uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and, 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 and made the same point that I'm going to make this morning. You're gifted individually. You're vital. You are a part of the body of Christ, and as a part of the body of Christ, 
God has gifted you with a spiritual gift. And he didn't give that gift to you for yourself. To build yourself up or to, uh, to let other people see how good or great or magnificent or wonderful or humble or whatever you are in the church. He gave it for the common good. He gave it for those around you. He gave it so that you would serve. He gave it so that you would be a benefit to those people that you are in the body of Christ with. That's why he gifted you for his glory and for the common good. And so he didn't give you the gift so that you could build yourself up. He gave it for the common good for us as your body. As fellow members of the body of Christ. So we're called to use our gift to serve the body, to minister in the body, and to glorify God. I want to look at a couple passages more on this. First Peter. Chapter four, verse starting with verse ten. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another. We're called to use our gift to serve the body, to minister in the body, and to glorify God. And that's what it says at the end of the First Peter passage there. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified. Use your gift. Serve. However God has gifted you, whatever he has equipped you with and, and enabled you to do, use it to serve the body. Use it so the body is ministered to and served and also so that God is glorified in all things. What I get from that is if if you have been gifted by God with something, and if you're a follower of Christ, you have been, and you're not using that gift, then God is not being glorified through you as he ought to be. Because what Peter says is it's in, in the use of our gifts, that's one of the ways that we glorify him. So one of the ways he's exalted. Romans 12, 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use them in the body. Don't just let them sit. Don't just let you sit. But use whatever gifts that God has given you by his power, the, the spiritual gifts that he's enabled you with, use them to serve and minister in the body. Paul says in Romans, like in Ephesians 4, that that gifts differ according to the grace that's given. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. They differ. And so what that means is two people may have the gift of faith. Okay? One of those people, the Lord may have given more faith to than the other person. It's not going to look the same because he apportions it differently. In fact, Romans says he apportions faith differently. And so he may have given you this much faith and he may have given someone else this much faith. He may have given someone else enough faith to pass around. 
And that's okay because it's God. And he does it according to his goodness and grace and wisdom. And he does it for his own glory. And he, he apportions it as he sees fit. And so it may look differently. Uh, someone who has the gift of teaching. You may know someone who, who has the gift of teaching but would tell you, I would never stand up. I could never stand up in front of a group of people and teach. I would die. That doesn't mean that they don't have the gift of teaching. That same person may be used by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to sit in a living room or across a table from someone and be used by God to change their life through teaching them his word. And as they go through and they work through scriptures with this person teaching them, God may use them to to radically change this person's life through his word. And so it looks differently. We could go on with, with, with other gifts as well. Let me say before we go further into this, I, I have, um, as I've searched through the New Testament, there are certain gifts that I have not found yet. I don't think I will, but I've looked. Gift of observation, not there. You may be surprised by that, okay? There is no gift listed among the spiritual gifts of coming, sitting, watching. Checking out. That's not a gift. You may be very good at it. You may be very good at coming to church, sneaking in, sitting down, watching, observing, getting up, backing out the door, shaking as few hands as possible and into your car and go. You may be very good at that. Please don't attribute that to the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's not a spiritual gift. The gift of gab. Listen. I don't need the Holy Spirit for that, okay? Uh, and, and some of you don't either. That's not a spiritual gift. This is something empowered, enabled, criticalness. doesn't count. Okay, there's no gift that you get to stand in the corner and, and pick things apart. And it's not that. Gifts are given for the edification of the body and the glory of Christ. It's to minister and serve those around you. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and usually it's something you would not be able to do on your own. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. I hope you understand. I mean, I hope when you think about that idea that you, you think of how wonderful it is that God would give you a gift to be used in the body of Christ. It's not a burden. It's a gift. And God has purposed to use you as a part of his body to serve his body, to minister into his body, to glorify himself. That's, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. What that, that, that should tell you is that you matter in the church. You matter. I mean, you may have thought at some point and, and even in the midst of a service or been a part of church for a while and just thought, I don't even matter here. I don't, I don't even count. That's not true. If you've been made to feel that way, it's not true. Because God has gifted you uniquely, individually, as a part of his body. And he's given you that gift to serve those people in the body around you in a way that exalts him, glorifies him, that shows the world that he is Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if you've ever thought, I don't matter here, I don't count here. It's not true. It's not true. 
God has gifted you in a way and purposed for you to serve in the body in a way that's, that, that encourages, that builds up, that edifies other people, that exalts him. And you matter. If you're not doing what God gifted you to do, then the church is less effective and not unified. If you're not serving, doing what God has equipped you to do, what God has gifted you to do by his Holy Spirit, then the the church is less effective and the church isn't unified because we're not all serving as the body of Christ. And so how do you know what your gift is? How many of you have ever asked that before? How in the world do I know when I'm gifted? I've asked that before. What are my spiritual gifts? You heard that. What are my spiritual gifts? What, how am I gifted? How do I fit in? How do I serve? What do I do in the body of Christ? How do I know what God has gifted me with? Let me, let me say this first, okay? Don't run out and take a spiritual gifts inventory, Okay? I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, and here's why, okay? Um, I don't think it's the first place to go for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, we're biased people. I'm a very biased person. I like me um, a lot. I do. Um, and, and, and so what I have found, and just being honest with you, what I have found when I have gone to take a spiritual gifts inventory, I'm very biased as I answer that towards what I kind of want it to come out as. I think a lot of people follow me. Strongly agree. (laughs) Do you like to get very muddy and dirty and do things serving people like washing toilets? No, (laughs) I don't want that one. Like I, and, and I tend to be biased towards what I feel like I want it to come out as. And really, sometimes what I hope people see me as. This is what I would like to be seen as in the church. This is what I would like to be like in the church. But that may not be what God has equipped me to be in the church or gifted me to be in the church. In fact, go back to 1 Corinthians 12. And look at starting at verse 14. We'll read through verse 26. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Love that word. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there, may, and there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So Paul gives this picture when he's talking about gifts, spiritual gifts in the body, of a real body. Okay, And there's different parts to our body. And we may think that one part is not important. One part doesn't matter. We'll pick the pinky toe. Okay? Does the pinky toe really matter? Does it really matter? At 2 a.m. in the morning, when you're walking through the dark and you strike the pinky toe, let's have the conversation, right? Let's sit down and talk. Does that matter to you right now? It matters a whole lot, right? Every part of my body matters. And if any part is lacking, then, then what he's saying, and, and, and really what he's saying, if, if, if all of the parts of the body want to be one part, So if all of the parts of my body, if the toes look at my arm and say, man, I wish I could be that strong. And if the legs look at my arm and say, man, I wish I had those biceps. And if the abdomen and every part's looking and saying, man, I wish I could be that. Where would the body be? It wouldn't be a body. It would just be an arm. It would just be one part of the body and it wouldn't function. The arm couldn't get from here to there because it wouldn't have legs to carry it there. It it, it couldn't do so many things. And that picture, I love that picture that he paints. Imagine if the whole body was an eye. Imagine if I was up here somehow miraculously preaching to you as an eyeball. Just blinking like Morse code or something with my eye to you, to teach you that what Paul says is every single part, every part of the body is vital. It's important. And God made you purposefully. And it's his, what he says is, as he chose, that's how he made you. He gifted you as he chose to gift you. And he's good in that. And so what he's saying is, be careful, be very careful. Not to look at the undeserved, wonderful gift that God has given to you and say, This isn't what I wanted. This isn't good enough. This isn't what I wanted to be. This isn't what I would want to be in the body of Christ. Could we really have done better than God? I don't think so. However he has gifted you is good. And it's exactly what the body of Christ needs from you. Because you have something given to you by God, gifted to you by God, that will be empowered by the Holy Spirit and effective. So we have to be careful as we look around. And, and, and one of the reasons I say uh, that I encourage you not to run out and take a, a, a spiritual gift inventory is because we tend to be like the little parts that are mentioned here that look at other parts and say, I wish I was a toe. I wish I didn't have to um, do this or I wish I wasn't made this way. I wish I wasn't good at this. I wish I was better at this. Don't do that. 
And what happens sometimes is, is if we go and, 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 and fill out one of the spiritual inventories or spiritual gift surveys, uh, we'll tend to present ourselves on paper how we wish that God had made us. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be what God made us to be. It's amazing how many people will fill out a spiritual gift inventory and come out as something completely different than what God made them to be because it's what they want. It's what they desire, not what God desires through them. And so how do we know? What should we do? Here's four things I want to mention, and they're not in any order, but I encourage you. um, First of all, read the passage dealing with passages dealing with spiritual gifts and pray read and pray and read and pray and read and pray roman if you don't know uh there's four passages in particular that 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 go through we mentioned them today but um, if you want to write them down romans 12 first corinthians 12 ephesians 4 and first peter 4 Read through those and, and pray through those, sincerely praying and, and remembering what, what, what has set up this in Ephesians. That we're called to, to be humble and gentle and patient. And as I approach God and as I approach His Word on these matters, I need to approach Him with humility, knowing whatever He's done, He's done for His glory. And, and He wants to be glorified. And if my heart is that He be glorified, then then I ought to serve him as he has gifted me to serve him. And so read and pray and read and pray. Secondly, be filled and walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. I I don't know how we would expect to understand how we are gifted if we're not walking by the one who empowers us with the gift. If we're breaking fellowship, if we're grieving the Holy Spirit, if, if, if we're doing things that dishonor God, then how are we going to be walking in a way that, that He's working through to make obvious our gifts? So we need to be walking by the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. Look again at 1 Corinthians 12, just one verse. I can read it to you. In verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. These are empowered by one and the same spirit. And so if we want to know how has God gifted me, what, what, is, what spiritual gift or what spiritual gifts, and, and some of you may have more than one spiritual gift, and, and, and I think likely do. But how am I to know that if I'm not walking by the Spirit who empowers those gifts? If I'm living in a way that that grieves Him, then how is that working going to take place? Third, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Don't just go to people who will say that they think you have the gift that you want to have. Everyone, all, all of us have those people probably in our life. We have yes people, right? We have yes friends. And those are fun. I mean, those are good to have sometimes. We can go to them, and it doesn't really matter what we say to them. Yeah, I can see that. And Don't just go to those types. Seek wise counsel. 
Seek biblical friends who will who will sit down with you and, and say, man, this is this is what how I've been encouraged by you. This is how the Holy Spirit has worked through you in my life. This is this is how I've been built up. This is how I've been encouraged. And not just that, but this is how I've seen you in the body of Christ, encouraging people as we've gathered together. This is this is how I've seen you serve naturally. This is how I've seen you serve empowered by the spirit, just doing what the Holy Spirit has enabled you to do. This is what I've seen. And being honest in that. To seek wise counsel. Go to your life group leader. There's someone who sees you week in and week out among the body of Christ. So talk to your life group leader. Talk to someone who disciples you. Talk to good friends. And for those of you who are asked, if someone comes to you after this and says, Hey, what do you see? I mean, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know... If, if I've ever recognized it or, or how to look for it, what do you see in me? If someone asks you that, then be wise in your answering. Don't just be people who tell them what they want to hear, but, but honestly watch them. And if you have to say, you know what, I need to observe and pray and, 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 and just be patient with me, then say that. But, but be honest and, and, and don't be what the church in Corinth was either. Don't you approach it as if some gifts are, are, are better for this person. Wouldn't it be great if someone comes to you, wouldn't it be great if we found out that you had the gift of, huh? Wouldn't it be great? Don't, don't go that route. Know that every gift is empowered by the Holy Spirit and it's good. It's good. And just love this person as you seek to find where they can serve best in the body of Christ. Encourage them. Encourage them in their gifts. This is how I've been ministered to by you. For seek the heart of God. Seek God's heart. First Corinthians 12. Not everyone is an eye. Not everyone is an eye. And so as you as you're seeking after God and desiring to know how have you gifted me, Lord? What have you what have you given to me to better serve the body of Christ and to glorify you in the body of Christ? As you as you approach him with that, then seek his heart for you. And know that not everyone is an eye. He, he may have made you to be an arm or a toe. And you might be stuck in a sock with other stinky toes. That's good for you. It's good. I, I mean that sincerely. It's a good thing because that's how God gifted you. I, I remember when Francis uh, Chan in California was preaching on this when I was out there. And, and, uh, and he talked about, you know, some of the it's hard to tell sometimes and and some of you you may be the appendix and really no one knows what you do until you blow up right and then everyone feels it right it it may be difficult it may take time it may just be seeking the lord seeking the heart of god and humility coming before god and saying god i want what you want and i think if we just dig down dig down dig down isn't that what we want as a part of the body of Christ, don't we just want what God wants for us in the body of Christ? I mean, we say we want to live for his glory, and therefore we need to want what he wants for us. And how good it is, how good it is, no matter what he leads in you, whatever he tells you, whatever, whatever you discover from God's word as you seek him and seek his heart, whatever it is you discover... To be plugged into the body of Christ and serving in the body of Christ and seeing and experiencing things that you couldn't do. 
that, that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to serve and to be a part of the body of Christ and to see people encouraged and changed that people would be challenged, that people would be growing, that people would just be helped. What a blessing, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing just to be used by God. All the parts are vital. And and, and I love, I love to see people when they're just doing what God has made them to do, no matter what it is. If you were made to just serve, if you were made to to give, if you were made to just be hospitable, whatever it is, if if you're a person who God has gifted with faith, what an encouragement that is. What a blessing that is. That's 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 an amazing, wonderful, wonderful thing to be used by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he's made you to do and serve in the body of Christ, which makes the body of Christ more unified, which glorifies God more and presents him in a way that is glorifying to the world. How is that in any way bad? It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And so as we seek the heart of God, as you seek God's heart and God, how have you made me and what have you gifted me with and what do you, how can I best serve? Just come to him humbly rejoicing that he has given grace to you. He's gifted you in some way and whatever way it is, it's grace that he's done it. This isn't one of the four, but in your seeking, don't wait to serve. If you if you read through the passage and you're like, well, I just don't know what it is. Uh, I'll just wait. Don't do that. Don't do that. It may be in your serving that God helps you to see how he has empowered you. And it certainly may be in your serving that you may see how he hasn't helped to empower you. Right? And so serve, serve, serve. We're called to serve. That's what Peter says. We're called to serve. So get in and serve, whether you, whether you know what your gift is or not. Maybe God will, will help you and encourage you and, and, and reveal to you how he has gifted you better as you serve the body of Christ. I'm going to spend just a few minutes here on verses 8 through 10. Grace was given, verse 7, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also, that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 7 is is showing how Christ has gifted us, okay? Verses 8 through 10 shows that Christ has authority to give those gifts. In verse 8, he's quoting from Psalm 68. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's this picture of when a king would conquer a city. And he would come into his home city. And as he paraded into his home city, he would come into this city and he would lead in with him these captives. 
that he had brought. And it was this victorious, wonderful scene. And so Paul refers back to Psalm 68 and referring to Christ when he had gone back into heaven. He's come and he's lived on earth. He's lived a perfect life. He's, he's sacrificed that life for sinners. And he's been risen again. And here he comes, okay? You can imagine this picture as he ascends and he goes back into heaven, his home. And it says he comes in as this king, victorious, leading this host of captives. And now, who's the host of captives? Who's this host of captives that he's leading in? It's sinners who he had purchased and bought with his very life. Captive to sin and purchased by God and led into heaven. I mean, just imagine this worshipful, worshipful moment. How great would that be? As he ascends and and triumphantly comes back into heaven. Victorious. So he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. and, And as he did that, he gave gifts to men. Now, we have this parenthetical statement here that Paul puts in. I'm glad he did. But I've wondered at times, why is this here? In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, this verse has been been interpreted at times to mean... Okay, so Jesus ascended, and then he says, if he ascended, then it must, what does that mean? But he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. And so what this has been interpreted as sometimes is that Christ descended into purgatory or into hell during the time that his body was in the grave. Spirit is alive. The body's in the grave. And during that time, he descended into hell. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Number one, it doesn't read well that way because what he says is the one who ascended. Isn't he also the one who descended? The one who was victorious and who comes into heaven victoriously. Isn't he the one who also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Isn't he the one who came? Isn't he the one who came among us and dwelt among us? Christ. I think the point that Paul is making here is that This point of, yes, he ascended because he had descended and was victorious over the flesh. He was victorious over sin. He was victorious over the grave. And so he ascended victoriously as well. Paul's saying that the one who ascended into heaven is the one who descended to earth, Jesus Christ, victorious, victorious over sin and death and ascended. Verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so he's worthy and has authority to give gifts for he's the victorious one who descended, lived a perfect life, was killed, was raised, triumphed over the grave and victoriously ascended back into heaven, leading captives. So he's worthy to give gifts and he's victorious and the one who fills all things. I'm going to pick up on this part um, 
next week as we continue. But let me just ask, um, first of all, are you serving in the body of Christ? Are you serving Christ and glorifying God by using the gifts that he has given you, the gifts that he has enabled you with to serve his body? Are you serving Christ and glorifying God by using the gifts that he has given to serve his body? As I, as I thought through verse 7 in, in relation to verses 8, 9, and 10, and this picture of Christ who's victorious, and, and I can't even, there's no way that my human mind or you, your human mind can comprehend this picture of Christ ascending and victoriously re-entering heaven. There's no way that I can comprehend the glory. There's no way that I can comprehend the majesty. There's no way that I can comprehend the greatness of Christ in that. But this Christ is the one who has gifted us. And this Christ is the one who has said, use those gifts to serve each other, to be unified in the body of Christ. This Christ is the one who, who asks us to use those gifts so that he will be glorified, like it says in 1 Peter 4. So are you using the gifts that God has given you to serve his body so that you're serving Christ and glorifying Christ? Now, if you're not, I want to encourage you to go through those four things and, and don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. I mean, find, you know, your life group leader or someone who, who, who can disciple you through that process. Whatever it is, walk with someone. This, this to me is a, is a huge and wonderful thing. He's gifted you with something, maybe some things. There may be people who are waiting, not even knowing they're waiting, just waiting because you're going to serve them in some way. You're going to minister to them in some way. You're going to be used by the Holy Spirit to affect them in some way because he's gifted you with the ability to do that. So don't let, just don't let it sit there. If you're not serving in the body, pray, 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 and, and read through God's word and, and talk to me, talk to Michael. But let's seek unity and let's seek the glorification of Christ as we serve each other, and as we do what God has made us to do. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for your word. God, I'm just so humbled as I come before you and I come before your word, Lord. You're good. You're good. Jesus, you're magnificent. You're glorious in all of your ways. You're glorious. We are completely unworthy. And God, we want to approach you with humility, we want to approach you knowing that you are God and you are so gracious to have called us, to have chosen us, to have adopted us, Lord, to redeem us, to awaken us, to bring us from death to life. You're gracious, Lord. And your grace continues and and that you gift us. And you allow us, Lord, you allow us to be a part of your body. To serve. To serve you ultimately, Lord. To minister, to minister and serve people around us. 
so that we function better and more unified, so that we're more effective, so that we're a better picture of your body, Jesus. And we don't want to strive to be one part of your body. We want to strive to be the body that you have made us to be, Lord. And the parts that you've given us, we thank you. And we know that throughout this room are different parts of your body, gifted in different ways, to different measures. And God, we're grateful. We don't want to ignore that. And Lord, so I pray for every single part. I pray for every single gifted individual that you've put in this place. God, that there would be such joy over the fact that you have graciously given us gifts. That they would seek you. That they would seek through your word to know how they can best serve. That they would seek through serving. That they would seek through relationships. How they can best serve and minister to your body. And how they can best glorify you as a part of the body of Christ. We need your help in that, God. And and that's why you empower us. And so... We praise you that it's not us. It's not up to our abilities. It's not up to what we can do in our flesh or on our own. We praise you that this is by your spirit. And so we pray that your spirit would move and work and fill and, and reveal in those hearts that, that need that, Lord. I pray for those who may be here this morning who are really just looking in who don't yet have a relationship with you, Jesus, who don't know what it is like to be forgiven by God. I pray that you would open their hearts, open their eyes and help them, God, help them to see the truth of your word, that they can do nothing to please you or make it to heaven on their own, that they need Christ, that they need Christ. And Jesus, that you came and you lived a perfect life, something that we cannot do. And that you were killed for our mistakes, for our sins. So that if anyone would come to you believing that you paid for their sins. And in, in your words, Jesus, if they come denying themselves. Taking up their cross and following you, that they'll be saved Lord and so I pray for them that you give them the faith to repent of their sin to come to you in faith believing that you alone are God and that you are the way the truth and the life Jesus we pray all these things for your glory that you would be exalted in all of it in Christ's name Amen